Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Friday, June 4th. We begin with our weekly conversation with Mayor Nahed Nenshi. The mayor's been very vocal about renaming schools in the city of Calgary following the shocking news late last week of the discovery of the bodies of 215 children at a residential school in Kamloops, BC. So we talked to him about that and we'll hear the mayor's passionate views about the process of reconciliation and the work that still needs to be done. Another busy week in politics south of the border, the release of emails from Dr. Anthony Fauci, and more developments surrounding the January 4th Capitol Hill riots. We get the latest from Jackson Prosco, Global News, Washington Bureau Chief. Summer is right around the corner. Oh, you can almost smell it. As a parent, though, how do you keep your kids occupied and at the same time mentally healthy? Advice from trauma care expert and best-selling author, Dr. Stephanie Hancock. And finally, it's the cheesiest segment of the week. We catch up with Afram Pristine, the world's youngest cheese master and host of the new Food Network show, Cheese, a Love Story. Mornings with Sue and Andy, our Friday tradition to check in with Mayor Nahed Nenshi. A very good morning to you, Mr. Mayor. Good morning. A lot of ground to cover from those pop-up vaccine clinics to a regional development plan that we're going to get to. Uh, But you have been very vocal about renaming a couple of schools in Calgary. Uh, let's talk about it, because it, it seems like it, this was something that was top of mind and top of agenda to you. Uh, why was it so important for you? Well, I think I've been vocal about a lot more than that in terms of working truly on reconciliation. And to be very clear, the renaming of the schools, these symbolic things, are just symbols. But they are necessary. They're important for us to really say that we are sincerely willing to give up some things in order to move to a more just society for Indigenous peoples. I think that all of us were pretty shaken by the news out of Kamloops. And and I was surprised at myself for being that shaken because we've always known as early as 1907, there was a report that showed the children were dying in these schools. The Truth and Reconciliation Commission suggests that up to 6,000 kids died in these schools. But I think somehow it felt very real this past weekend. I know parents hugged their kids a little bit tighter mm-hmm. when they thought about what would happen if my children were taken away from me. They weren't returned. The parents were told, oh, your child ran away or went missing. They didn't get the chance to bury their children. I mean, it's it's unbelievable to even imagine that that happened here on this land. And if this really allows us to say, okay, this injustice perpetuates now, it perpetuates in the foster care system where the vast majority of kids who are apprehended are Indigenous kids. It perpetuates in the fact that we still don't have clean drinking water on many First Nations and we don't have anywhere near equitable services. The fact that I was talking to one of my Indigenous colleagues this week who said, do you understand that every Indigenous professional that you know has gone through massive amounts of therapy in order to be here? And I didn't understand that. And so there really is an an opportunity now for us to be open-minded and open-hearted And think about how we move towards true reconciliation. And, you know, going on and on about cancel culture and stuff is completely unhelpful. Um, It's just retreating inside your shell and not recognizing what's really going on. So I'll tell you very quickly that by pure coincidence this week, right after the premier went on and on and on and on about Sir John A. Macdonald, uh, he wasn't asked about it. He just felt the need to go on and on about it. 
by pure coincidence, I happened to be meeting virtually with a group of students from Sir John A. McDonald's school mm. as part of the mayor's environment expo. They were going to tell me about their eco project. And these things, I, I love doing it. But usually it's, you know, people who are reducing electricity in their classroom or putting a new composting program or whatever. These kids showed up on my screen. They were all wearing orange shirts. And they started by saying, we acknowledge and recognize the heavy weight that the name of our school puts on us as we are trying to figure out how to be Canadians going forward. And their eco-project was the planting of an Indigenous-inspired garden with elders at their school. And the way they spoke about this with such eloquence and such deep understanding, and these are kids, right? Such deep understanding of the real issues and what it means to move towards reconciliation made me realize these silly debates about whether we should name the school Sir Johnny MacDonald are completely besides the point. What the name of that school allowed these kids to do was actually really grapple with history. And anyone who says in that new curriculum, oh, kids are too fragile to learn about this stuff, it's too sad for them, talk to some kids. These kids were unbelievably resilient. They understood the issues better than I could imagine, and they are well on the path that all Canada needs to be on. Thank you for that. Great points all. Uh, can we ask you to hang on for a couple of minutes? We would like to come back. There's uh, lots of things that we'd like to chat with you. Uh, of course, I'll go quicker next time. Okay, hang on one second. Thank you so much. That is Mayor Nahed Nenshi, and uh, we'll be back with him in just a moment. Good morning once again, Mr. Mayor. Morning. Let us talk now about a process that we've been told you're quite excited about. It's uh, the regional development plan now in place between Calgary and its partners just outside of our borders. So can you give us a little bit of background about the plan and what you like so much about it? Sure. For 25 years, we've been working on a regional growth plan. We've never been able to come up with one. And two weeks ago, the Calgary Metropolitan Board finally passed a regional plan, which really looks at how we grow together with our adjoining communities like Airdrie and uh, Cochrane and Chestermere, as well as with the three counties, Rocky View, Wheatland and Foothills County uh, going forward. And this is a good thing. Uh, You know, we are on very small rivers here. And our projections that uh, suggest that if we do business as usual and we don't do a better job of managing development to protect our watershed, we will have water restrictions in the summer in the region as soon as 2030. And so water is the primary driver, but it's also about quality of life. And I know there's been a ton of misinformation from some uh, outside of Calgary developers and others that this is Calgary not allowing any development to happen anywhere else. In fact, it's exactly the opposite. It's us deciding how to share development uh, in an equitable way through the region while protecting the environment and economic health of the region. We think it's going to save billions and billions of dollars in infrastructure uh, by concentrating growth. And uh, I'm really happy about it. It's been very difficult getting here. A lot of uh, bruised feelings, but I hope people can put that behind them and actually we can move forward in a cooperative way as we welcome the next million people to the region. Well, and what's crazy about it, you know, having grown up in Calgary as as you, uh, Mayor, is as far as going back, Airdrie used to be quite some distance. Okotoks used to be quite some distance, for example. My, how times have changed. Mm -hmm. It's, It's basically the next community over. Yeah, that's exactly right. And those urban municipalities uh, unanimously voted for this uh, for this plan, all, all six of them, including Calgary, seven including Calgary, because they too realize that 
we all have to grow in a thoughtful way. All of us depend on the economy of Calgary mm-hmm. to make sure that the other uh, municipalities are vibrant. And so it was a really, really good conversation in many ways. I'm not sure everyone agrees with that. It was not a unanimous vote. But ultimately, let's put it this way. There were parties at the table that weren't going to vote for any plan. And I think that we got the best possible plan. And I hope we can move on now. Fantastic. Thank you so much for your time. Have a great weekend, Mayor. Thank you. And this weekend, if you haven't got your first shot yet, let me just remind you, before you go to your Sky Palace patio, you can stop by for a vaccine. I had to get it in. Um, I don't want to pile on, but man, oh man, oh man, what were they thinking? But the more important thing is we got to get a... Uh, we got to get the vaccines done. So set up for your second shot. You can do that now. If you had it in March, you can do it uh, on June 14th. Is that in April? But most important, pop-up clinic, no appointment needed, 8 a.m. to 10 p.m. Saturday and Sunday, Village Square, um, mainly for people in East Calgary, but everyone's welcome. 5,000 doses, and I want to get all 5,000 in people's arms. So 8 a.m., 10 p.m., Saturday, Sunday, Village Square. That's for first shots. So, yeah, let's hope it's super busy there. Great reminder. Thanks, Mayor. Appreciate it. Thank you. Take care. You too. That is Calgary Mayor Nahed Nenshi. Well, another busy week in politics south of the border where emails from Dr. Anthony Fauci were released and more developed around January 4th Capitol riots. For the latest, we're joined this morning by our Washington Bureau Chief for Global News, Jackson Prosco. Morning, Jackson. Good morning. Happy Friday. Happy Friday to you as well. Uh, Let's start with this one. Uh, Lots been reported around the release of the emails from the head of America's COVID response, Dr. Anthony Fauci. What were your takeaways? And if you can give us a little rundown of the emails. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a couple things here. One shows that sort of Fauci grappling with the kind of celebrity status and volume of media requests he was getting in the early days of the pandemic. But, of course, the part that everyone's really focusing on is sort of, um, uh, you know, Fauci's response and sort of his comments about the origins of the pandemic itself, the origins of the coronavirus. And, of course, that's something that there is growing scrutiny over. And I think what some are seizing on is this question of whether Fauci took the origins question seriously enough in the early days. Fauci's response to that has been that that's not actually his job. That's not something that the National Institutes of Health, where he works, would actually be concerned with. Is there going to be any blowback from these emails being released, Jackson? You know, I think uh, in one sense, they are just a, a snippet. They are one month's worth of emails. They are in some ways lacking the context that's needed. Um, you know, there's already been blowback for Fauci uh, just from those who feel that he has been contradictory or inappropriate uh, in his advice regarding pandemic restrictions like masks. But, of course, he's also a hero to a lot of people for leading the response down here. So, like so many things down here, it's polarized and it's really rooted in politics. Jackson, what's the latest around the charges being laid or the ongoing investigations into the January 4th Capitol riots? I had heard yesterday Mike Pence saying he he said he will likely never see eye to eye with Donald Trump on what went down that day. Yeah, you know, there's a, a curious thing still happening in the Republican Party where even people like Mike Pence, who was the target of the mob that wanted to hang him outside the Capitol building, are still wary of actually criticizing Donald Trump. Uh, So a few things have happened here. One is that the Senate shot down a full bipartisan investigation into the January 6th riots. The question now is, how are they actually going to get to the bottom of this and probe it and examine it? Of course, a lot of Republicans are wary about that because they don't want the investigation to perhaps implicate some of their own members or the findings to run up against the 2022 midterms. So there's an eye to all of that. 
Uh, but at the same time, you've got Republicans in various state legislatures taking actions to really curb voting rights, all based upon the same lie that spawned the January 6th riots about a stolen election. All this, well, you know, Donald Trump, uh, former President Donald Trump, has been in the background, and now there's still rumors and rumblings that he may be throwing his hat in the ring uh, next time out. Yeah, I mean, there's a few things going on here. One is, of course, that he is lurking in the background and has uh, reportedly suggested that if, if his health is cooperating, he will run again in 2024. I think the question is whether the Republican Party itself has an appetite for that or if they're simply using the Trump name and momentum to try and make gains in 2022, and then they'll move on beyond him. But Trump himself has also been reportedly uh, spewing some of these conspiracy theories by some of his followers that he is going to be somehow reinstated in August of that of this year. I can tell you that's not going to happen. I mean, there is no mechanism for him to be reinstated as president. And again, there was no fraud found of a widespread scale that would have changed the outcome of the election, which, of course, is Trump's claim uh, that would somehow result in putting being put back in office. But I think the fact that Trump may actually believe some of these conspiracy theories, according to some of the reporting out there, uh, is definitely raising concern, and maybe it shortens his prospects as a, as a viable contender for the Republican Party. They may not want to go anywhere near that. They still have to, I mean, the Republican Party, they still have to decide in the end who gets to be the person who goes up to try and, and be the president. So somebody's got to put him in that position, correct? Well, exactly. And, and more broadly, I think the Republican Party has to decide if they're actually still a party that believes in the values of democracy and in respecting the outcomes of elections. And if you look at the actions that are being taken in dozens and dozens of states, it seems like they don't. I mean, Texas has just passed legislation now where uh, a judge could come in and overturn a local election, not based on proof of fraud, but based on suspicion of fraud. Mm. Let's uh, switch gears and talk about, of course, the vaccine rollout across North America and President Joe Biden announcing the U.S. will start sharing more of its vaccines. Uh, Will Canada benefit from uh, this uh, generosity? Yeah, so this is sort of a curious thing. They've announced plans for sharing 25 million doses of the 80 million doses that they've offered to the world by the end of June. Uh, Of those, about 6 million doses are being reserved for allies, which includes Canada and Mexico. But you've got a lot of groups that are raising skepticism about that because Uh, Canada has purchased more doses per capita than any other country on Earth. Uh, Canada has already received about a million and a half doses from the U.S. from the AstraZeneca stockpile. Uh, And Canada is actually withdrawing from COVAX, which is the international effort to share vaccines with the developing nations. And so uh, you've got groups basically saying not only should Canada not be accepting more vaccine donations from the United States, but if anything, Canada needs to step up. There are only two G7 countries, Canada and the United Kingdom, that have actually not made firm commitments to donate uh, vaccine doses to COVAX, the international effort. Uh, And so kind of some skepticism there. Mm. Speaking of, how are the numbers looking down in the U.S. right now in terms of vaccines and cases that are still, uh, you know, in in the hospital and, and that sort of thing? So this is an incredible statistic that came out from the CDC director yesterday. Cases are down 94% from their peak in January. That shows you just how far this country has come. Uh, vaccination continues at a, a, a decent pace as well. It is starting to slow. We're at about 52% of American adults who are fully vaccinated. That means both shots. 
uh, and sort of the challenge is going to be the final mile here, right, the, the last stretch of people who need their vaccines. And you're actually seeing efforts to really uh, incentivize this and convince people, and not just the lotteries and things like that that we've talked about before, uh, free beer for everyone who's vaccinated on the 4th of July, by yes. the way. Um, but uh, you're actually seeing the White House do things like partner with about a 1,000 barbershops uh, across the country to have barbers convince their clients that, hey, that vaccine something you should look into. Mm. Working through the barbers. <laughs> wow, that is a very unique approach for sure. Uh, thank you uh, so much for your time, Jackson. Hopefully you uh, get some time off and have a good weekend. Have a great weekend. That is Jackson Prosco, Washington Bureau Chief for Global News. School winding down pretty soon. Summer break almost here. Kids are going to have a lot more time on their hands. So how can parents keep their children occupied and mentally healthy over the long break, especially after what they've been through over the past year or so? With some advice this morning, we're joined by Dr. Stephanie Hancock, trauma care expert and best-selling author. Good morning, Dr. Hancock. Good morning so much for having me. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. Interesting, unique time for sure. Kids have been off quite a bit over the past year, homeschooling, et cetera, now heading into summer. So in some ways, maybe this is a case of not kids not really knowing kind of which way is up at this point. Lots of confusion, perhaps, from them. Absolutely. With the pandemic, a lot of the uh, children right now are very bored. Some of them are going through mental uh, in fact, mental, mental illness, such as uh, suicidal ideation, and some are very depressed and anxious. So it's important that we really need to get a handle on it if we are parents right now. What's interesting, Dr. Hancock, is the fact that, you know, generally we celebrate summer. It's a chance to relax and unwind. The kids can, you know, get together with friends and it seems like time doesn't matter during the summer. But, yeah, they might have a different mindset. So I'm wondering from a professional standpoint, what sorts of things should we look for in our kids to to know that they might be struggling at this time? Oh, my goodness. Thank you for asking that question. Um, A lot of sadness. A lot of kids are staying more in their rooms right now. Yesterday at my clinic, uh, I met with a young lady who said she was extremely bored. And how many of us know that boredom does, uh, <laughs> does invite problems mm-hmm. at home? So some of them are very, they're very bored. They're very sad. Uh, a lot of them, when you even ask them, they'll tell you that they have racing thoughts that their thoughts are just racing at at the speed of light. Uh, Some of them will tell me, well, I don't know how I feel, but at times I just feel like just walking down the uh, street and just I wonder if if the car hit me, what would happen? Now, those kind of thoughts are not rational. And so we expect, we start seeing kids that are having those kind of thoughts, kids that are very irritated, very angry, uh, and just don't want to deal with anything at this point. So we know they should probably get some help, most definitely. We need to reach out, talk to an expert if kids are feeling that way for sure. Are there tips that you have for us, I mean, as to what we can look for towards the summer months and things to keep their minds and their bodies occupied? Because both of those things are clearly important. Oh, my goodness. Now, we know that a lot of our kids love to get away. They love getaways. Uh, it's kind of a little bit different this time because they've been in, in the house, so we know that they're going to be anxious about it. But at the same time, too, it's important. It doesn't have to be a lot of trees on the plane or something. It could be somewhere that they do enjoy before, in the area, in the communities where they are, and just spending time with family, getting away, just getting away. 
Let's talk about another uh, tip that you uh, put forward, Dr. Hancock, and that is helping uh, our kids find a purpose. What do you mean by this? Ooh. Oh, my goodness. Uh, just like I gave you an example yesterday, I spoke with a young kid yesterday, and she, she tells me, I'm just bored. I said, well, what do you like to do? But because she's been cooked up in the house for over a year, she can't even remember what she loves to do. So it's important that we start with, uh, I, I call it rehabilitative storytelling, where you kind of help them to tell the story, go back to what they used to do before, find a purpose. It doesn't have to be anything dramatic. It could just be, hey, for example, my purpose is to maybe read a book at the end of the night, every night, or just write about how my day went. That's a purpose. Anything very small, nothing major, find a purpose so that they can attach that summer to that purpose. Mm, that's I like that one a lot. Now, you've written what, 24 self-help books. So I know you've got it down and I know that uh, a lot of people think, and a lot of experts think kids need to have a routine and a structure. Mm. Is that really important mm. throughout the summer? And, and how, how easy do we need to be about, you know, letting them kind of move away from that routine? Okay. So structure is very, very, particularly where we are right now. It's very important. Again, many of them are, you know, they are kind of lost right now with everything that's going on. Uh, particularly when you deal with teenagers, they don't want you to get involved, too involved. Yes, you still have to be a little bit involved. So it's important that you kind of negotiate that with them, sit down with them, find out indirectly, hey, say, what do you want to do today? What, do you, what are you thinking about doing today? What do you think? How about this? Uh, softly, softly, you know, uh, suggesting things to them. It's very important because if, if they do not have structure, um, mm, the devil is in the details. So it's important that when you, when you give them structure, um, but make it look like it comes from them, not from you. Mm. You know, a lot of teenagers don't want to be bothered with, uh, with their family. And so it's important that you uh, let them know that this is your structure. This is how it looks. But you've got to give them structure. They do want structure in the kind of way, but at the same time, they just don't want you overbearing. You know, uh, Dr. Hancock, we know that our uh, kids, particularly the teens, love their electronics. They love to be online. Mm. Uh, but uh, you're, you're actually suggesting something that they love. We limit a bit. Why do we want to do that through the summer months? Okay, so... Um, there is a lot of things that are going on with our kids already. They are overcharged. Uh, some of the kids that I see right now, they are actually going through disorders like games when they, you know, when they are on games for 10, 15 hours a day. Uh, what that does is, is kind of overstimulates them. And so it's important that, you know, even though we want them to have their devices, we want them to have that, it is important that we kind of set some parameters. For example, if your kid loves to be on games or whatever, and you know that at 7 they have dinner, at 8 they have, or 8.30 they have to be in bed, then at 7 you've got to shut it down. Otherwise, what that does is it increases their stress level. Uh, they find themselves on the, in the bed just rolling for the next 10, you know, two, three, four hours. And before you know it, it's time to get up and do something again. So it's important that we um, kind of monitor the kind of devices that they use, even phones too. Um, 
And also internet. There's a lot of things going on on the internet right now that get them all jazzed up and get them all overly excited uh, to the point of even uh, anxiety. So we've got to really, really talk to our kids about the devices that they're using. Fair enough and great tips all. Thank you so much for your time this morning, doctor. Appreciate it. Thank you so much for having us. Bye-bye now. That is Dr. Stephanie Hancock, trauma care expert and best-selling author. There's a delicious new show coming to Food Network Canada. It's called Cheese, A Love Story, and it's an exploration and a celebration of one of the world's most beloved foods through the lens of an extreme cheese lover. Joining us is the host of the show, Afrim Pristine, the world's youngest maitre fromage or cheese master. Good morning, Afrim. Good morning, Sue. How are you? A pleasure to chat with you again. I know you, you were uh, touring through Calgary a few years ago when you came out with your cookbook, so a pleasure to talk to you again about this new series. Bring us back, though, but tell us a little bit about your, your love of cheese and how it really all began. I'll tell you, it's weird, but my love of cheese happened before I even existed, Sue. <laughs> you know, my, family, my family's been doing this for 50 years, and, and we've had our cheese shop in Toronto. For, in, uh, at the end of June, it'll be 51. Wow. And, and, and my family came here to Canada, like many immigrants, and opened up a ch- tiny, tiny cheese store in the west end of Toronto to provide for their families. So that's kind of why I say it started before I was alive. And, you know, growing up, I mean, I was immersed in cheese everywhere. And, you know, my, my mother always said that uh, they didn't have money for a pacifier, so they just stunk, uh, stuck a big chunk of Parmigiano Reggiano in my mouth. So I'm going to go with that story. I don't know how much I believe it, but I'm going to go with it. It's a good one. Avram, yeah. you, ha- you have obviously an intense love and history, you know, when it comes to cheese. But I- I'm wondering, what do you think it is about cheese that makes it, in my opinion, the ultimate comfort food? Why do we all love cheese so much? You know, it's a great question. Honestly, I think no matter where we are in the world, no matter what culture, we all grew up with cheese. And one way or another, it was on our pasta or it was in our pizza or it was in a grilled cheese sandwich. And, you know, I think at a very young age, we all started loving cheese. It is comforting, as you mentioned. It's approachable. There's so much variety. If you don't like blue cheese, well, no problem. There's all this other world of cheese. I think it's the variety that really people love. Okay, Afram, let's talk about the show then. We love cheese. I mean, I don't know anybody who doesn't like cheese and if if you don't, I mean, there's something wrong, right? So, did you get yeah, to I t- totally agree. <laughs> Did you get to tour the world or did you get to choose where you wanted to go to sample cheese uh, for the show? I love the places we went to and Switzerland and France and Greece, those like iconic like cheese super powerhouses in Europe and then to discover Canada and to do Ontario, Quebec and British Columbia. I'm telling you, it's going to blow Canadians away. It's going to blow Canadians away, and they're going to be like, wow, like, I didn't know we were doing that here in Canada. And I really wanted that. I'm, I'm a proud Canadian, so I think, um, I think Canada's going to blow people's minds, as well as Europe, of course. Blowing minds, one thing, Afrim, but I, I think, do you think that it's a case that as Canadians, we are just too close uh, to, to our cheese industry to, to really recognize its greatness? And we always think we have to go outside of our country to get that perfect piece of cheese? 100%. And it actually, you know, uh, look, I made cheese all over the world and I visited, as you know, and, and I think 
I, we have cheeses in this country that the recipes are older than Canada is. Like wow. cheese we've been making for a long time. Cheddar. Nobody makes better cheddar than us in the world, in my opinion. Cheese curds. Like that's what we do. I think it's a little too close to home. I think it's, you know, it's, 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 it's beer, it's hockey, and it's cheese. That's what Canada, you know, is, is all about. I'm kidding, but I'm not kidding. I mean, like, cheese should be in that category. Everybody knows we make amazing, we produce hockey players, we make amazing beer, but man, our cheese is world class. Well, Afram, I love the show idea. I mean, you're visiting with farmers and cheesemakers and shop owners and chefs. So mm-hmm. tell us a little bit the show, how it kind of works and when we'll be able to see it. So uh, it premieres uh, next Wednesday, June 9th, 8 p.m. on the Food Network. Uh, it's one hour episode. So it's a good amount of cheesiness mm-hmm. in each episode. It's a fun, approachable, educational, cheese-focused travel show. If I had to kind of put it in a nutshell, I think that's kind of it. It's really fun. And, you know, my tone, how you hear and my vibe, that really shines throughout the uh, episodes. And it's um, if you love cheese and you love food, we have the who's who of the cheese industry. And uh, it's pretty cool. And I'll be watching with a cheese board in front of me. Thank you so much for your time, Ephraim. <laughs> yes, Ephraim. please. Thank you guys so much. Say hi to Calgary for me. I love Calgary. You just did. You just did, okay, yes. Okay, great, great. Thank That's you so great. much. That is uh, Afram Pristine, the world's youngest cheese master and host of the new Food Network Canada show called Cheese, a Love Story. More info at foodnetwork.ca. Thanks for downloading and listening to the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review for free at Apple Podcast, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts. And tune in to Mornings with Sue and Andy from 530 to 9 every weekday morning on 770 CHQR.